and welcome to the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 22, The Gift, where Buffy and Glory have their final confrontation and Dawn's life and the fate of the world are at stake. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Along with the breakdown of the episode, I'll talk about the gift's natural and subtle callbacks to past episodes, dialogue, and scenes that convey themes like choice, teamwork, and protecting individual people, an elegant mix of exposition, conflict, and foreshadowing that fills in the audience, keeps the pace fast, and sets up how the battle with glory plays out, an unexpected climax that's not between glory and Buffy, and the ultimate Pyrrhic victory where Buffy prevails at an unbearable cost. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of Writing as a Second Career, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. There will be no spoilers today except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. The Gift aired the first time on May 22, 2001. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon. It starts with an opening conflict as it should. This conflict in any story might relate to the main plot or might not, but it's meant to draw the viewer or reader in right away. Here it relates to the series as a whole. A teenage boy runs down a dark alley and a vampire corners him. He wears a long sleeve striped shirt that reminds me so much of how Jonathan dressed throughout the series. Buffy steps out the back door of the magic box. She's wearing that white sweater and black pants from the previous couple episodes, and she says, hey, what's going on? The boy says she should call the police, but the vampire tells her to get out and calls her girl. And Buffy, acting purposely very clueless, says, are you guys having a fight? Because, you know, fighting's not cool. The vampire tells her he changed his mind. She should stay. He can use an appetizer. But Buffy asks him if he knows the expression, bit off more than you can chew. He seems puzzled. And she says, how about the expression vampire slayer? And he asks what she's talking about. And Buffy responds, wow, never heard that one. Okay, how about, oh God, my leg, my leg. The vampire growls. Buffy attacks, stomps on his leg and breaks it. And the vampire says, oh God, my leg. And Buffy says, see, now we're communicating. They fight as the boy watches from a corner and she finally stakes the vampire. Lots of acrobatics in this fight, reminding me of one of Buffy's early fights in the bronze where she does a flip off a pool table. And Buffy, after the vamp is dusted, says, Wow, been a long while since I met one who didn't know me. She tells the boy he should go home and he asks how she did that. And she says, It's what I do. And this line was in the weight of the world after Willow in Buffy's head told her to leave Dawn alone. Buffy had been trying to kill Dawn. And then Willow said, what is this? And Buffy responded, my gift. This is what I do. This is both callback to that episode and foreshadowing because the gift will deal so much with that 
advice to Buffy from the spirit guide, death is your gift. And now the boy says, but you're just a girl. Buffy answers, that's what I keep saying. This echoes season one where Buffy is trying to be that high school girl, but it is such a different tone. I mentioned earlier in season five how the Buffy bot reminded me of season one Buffy in particular, where she had so many quippy comebacks and so much joy overall in life. But now her tone is sad. And this year took away so much of that normal life that Buffy clung to. There's no college anymore, no school. Her mom is gone. She has no love interest, and she's not as close with her friends, partly because they're all in different worlds and partly because Dawn was added. And the way this scene played out, I remember when I watched the first time, it felt a bit off to me because it was echoing those early Buffy scenes, but Buffy seemed so muted. And later, I came to see that as purposeful because it shows how Buffy has changed, how her life has changed. And at 2 minutes 37 seconds, we go to credits. At 3 minutes 31 seconds, we're back and Buffy tells the others in the magic box that it was a vampire and they all act like it was nothing. Another big shift from season one, episode one, when Willow and Xander were blown away by the idea of vampires and all of season one where vampires were the major foe, including the master. Giles is at the end of a long table with the scrolls, and Buffy tells him to explain it all from the beginning, which is a good way to get in exposition if anyone has missed previous episodes. And it's believable given the decision she has to make that she wants to hear the whole thing. She is looking for another way out. So Giles talks about how energy was turned into a key that unlocks dimensions. And Glory is going to do a ritual that will open the portal and the dimensions will stay open. Glory will use that time to get back to her own dimension, not caring that all manner of hell will be unleashed on Earth. Anya interjects, um, but only for a little while the walls come back. No more hell. And Willow says that's only if the energy stops. And now that the key is human, is dawn. Giles picks up the narrative and says that the blood flows, the gates open. The gates close, quote, when it flows no more, when dawn is dead, end quote. And Tara exclaims, I have places to be, and then whimpers. And Xander says, why blood? Why dawn's blood? I mean, why couldn't it be like a lymph ritual? And Spike says, because it's always got to be blood. And Xander tells him, we're not actually discussing dinner right now. But Spike scoffs at him and says, blood is life, Lackbrain. Why do you think we eat it? It's what keeps you going, makes you warm, makes you hard, makes you other than dead. Of course it's her blood. And Spike is still looking beat up from when Glory tortured him. We're now about 10% through the episode, and usually in any story, you'll see what I think of as the story spark, also known as the inciting incident. And in some ways, we've already had that because we know about the ritual, we know about Glory capturing Dawn in the previous episodes, but... Here, I see the spark for the gift, as when Buffy says, it's pretty simple math, they still have a couple hours before the ritual, and they need to stop Glory before it 
starts. And this sets the terms of the battle for Buffy. This is the goal, the only option, not to kill Dawn, but to stop Glory's ritual. Giles starts to point out the problems with that, and Buffy doesn't want to hear it. Giles claims he understands how she feels, and Buffy responds, no, no, you don't understand. We are not talking about this. And Giles slams his hands on the table and says, yes, we bloody well are. And he tells her if Glory starts the ritual, and Buffy tells him, go ahead, tell me to kill my sister. And Giles says, she's not your sister. So here we have a theme for the series about family. And usually family is chosen family in Buffy. There has been a lot about the gang of friends as family, Giles as Buffy's father when her own father is absent and lets her down. And here Giles is seeming to focus on the lack of a biological or natural tie as if that is what makes family, which would be contrary to the themes in Buffy, except that it makes a certain amount of sense because he is trying to get Buffy to where she can let go of Dawn to save the world. But Buffy says no, that Dawn is more than her sister, quote, she's me, end quote, and goes on that the monks made Dawn out of Buffy. And when Buffy holds her, she feels closer to Dawn. It's not just the memories the monks built, it's physical. And I struggle a bit with this because of the way we see Buffy treat Dawn, especially in the first two-thirds of the season and even some of the more recent episodes. We don't see Buffy acting like she feels this way. And I feel like it's a case of I accept it for this episode for what it means to Buffy here and that perhaps this is how Buffy feels inside even though we have not always seen it. We've seen it sometimes but more often we see Buffy feeling cut off from Dawn but it does work wonderfully for this episode and perhaps is an outgrowth of Joss Whedon didn't write every episode and this theme or this feeling of Buffy's may not have gotten in as much or it may be a theme that they discovered as they were writing the ending that wasn't necessarily woven through in the beginning. Buffy specifically says here, Dawn is a part of me, the only part that I, and Willow says, we'll solve this, we will. Don't have another coma, okay? But Giles, the voice of practicality or realism, says, if the ritual starts, then every living creature in this and every other dimension imaginable will suffer unbearable torment and death, including Dawn. But Buffy's not persuaded. She says, then the last thing she'll see is me protecting her. Giles responds, you'll fail. You'll die. We all will. And Buffy says, I'm sorry. I love you all, but I'm sorry. At 7 minutes 31 seconds, Anya raises her hand as she stands in front of the group and tells them all to come up with ideas. There must be something they can do. Spike says, uh, when you say you love us all, and Xander and Giles tell him to shut up. This is a perfect way to get in Spike's feelings for Buffy and that they're not returned. Anya says, Willow, I'll bet you've got some dark spell of Bruin. Make her a toad, little happy toad, hit her with a hammer. This line foreshadows a number of the things that 
the gang will try against Glory. And now Xander foreshadows another. He says, what about Ben? He can be killed. He's an innocent, but not like Dawn innocent. Quote, we could kill a regular guy, end quote. We see his body sort of deflate as he says this and he trails off. And this is great foreshadowing for what Giles does in the end. Now Giles nixes this idea, not on moral grounds, but on practical ones, saying this close to the ritual, they can expect they'll be dealing with glory, not Ben. So we've gotten this reminder that kill the man, the god dies, in the guise of conflict. Willow now has a really great idea. I love this teamwork here. And she says they don't have to kill Glory, just stop her from doing the ritual. She can only do it this one time. And Spike agrees, just keep her occupied until it's too late. Anya, though, says she's not hearing enough ideas. They need to think outside the box. And Giles gets annoyed and asks her if she's got anything to offer other than her incredibly uninfectious enthusiasm. Anya does. She suggests the Dagon Sphere, that glowing orb that Buffy found in the episode where she first encountered Glory. It's supposed to repel Glory, so Anya thinks it might hurt her as well, and it's in the basement somewhere. Also, she points to Olaf the Troll God's enchanted hammer. To fight a god, use a weapon of a god. There's a little retconning here because I am pretty sure Triangle never established Olaf as a god. It is also another nice callback and foreshadowing and exposition all in one. We get that background on the hammer and it will be key to the battle. Spike now says it's too heavy, but Buffy lifts it easily and thanks Anya. This joke was set up way back in the episode Blood Ties, where in the magic box with Dawn, Spike tried to lift the hammer, couldn't, and said, didn't go with my stuff anyway. And it's amazing to me the way the writers weave all of this together so seamlessly. After Buffy thanks her, Anya says, here to help, want to live. And Xander says, smart chicks are so hot. And we get another callback as Willow says, you couldn't have figured that out in 10th grade. Buffy says she still has no idea to find glory. But then Tara says, big day. It calls me. I have to be there. And she has been saying things like this for a couple episodes, which is why this works and doesn't feel like this convenient, oh, here, Buffy, here's the answer. The writers just handed it to you. Because we've established Tara's been saying this over and over. So it is Buffy's question that finally makes the group, though we don't see it right now, pick up on what Tara is really saying and how it can help them. At 9 minutes 39 seconds, Ben, wearing Glory's ceremonial dress, gives Dawn a matching gown for the ritual and says, look, I wish there were another way. And Dawn says, and I wish you'd fall on your head and drown in your own barf. So I guess we're both disappointed. This is certainly consistent with the Dawn we've seen. And that's why it grates on me, because she still sounds more like a 10 or 11-year-old than uh, a teenager. 
And I have a note, did Buffy's wit come with her slayer skills? Because Don certainly isn't particularly good at the quips. Ben tries to tell Don that he thinks the ritual will be quick, and a minion helpfully corrects him and says, actually, sir, the bleeding is quite a slow process to give the portal time, and Ben cuts him off. This also does a little foreshadowing when we see that the portal doesn't open all at once at the end of the episode. Don yells at Ben, telling him to change, to be Glory, and he does turn into Glory, who asks what she's got against old Benji. Dawn calls him a monster and says that Glory is one too, but at least she's upfront about it. At 11 minutes, three seconds, Glory says Ben's just doing what anyone else would do. He wants to survive, which is a nice counterpoint to both Dawn's and Buffy's actions at the end, showing that it is not just what anybody would do. Glory also says Ben might be why Buffy and her friends are still alive, that little pinch of humanity from Ben. So a little bit of acknowledgement from the writers about Glory not going more directly after Buffy throughout the season. And Dawn says, or maybe you just can't take her. At 11 minutes, 31 seconds, Glory yanks Dawn over to her and points out that Big Sis hasn't galloped in to save her. Dawn says Buffy's not afraid of Glory, but Glory tells her no, she's talking about the ritual. The portals open with Dawn's blood and close when she dies. And Glory says the faster you die, the better for your sorry species. I'm betting Buffy knows that. Since she's not really your sister, I'm guessing she isn't going to show. And if she does, it might not be to save you. So more themes of family. And who is a sister to Buffy and who isn't? At 12 minutes, 18 seconds, Glory throws Dawn down. Dawn, shivering on the ground, whispers Buffy's name. So usually by here, we see what I think of as the one-quarter twist, usually about 25% through any novel, sometimes later in a television episode. And typically, it comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. Here, I don't think it exactly fits that paradigm, but we do have a major shift in the narrative because now we switch to Buffy preparing for the fight, and we'll see the gang doing that as well in this section of The Gift. There also is a raise in stakes, as we'll see a bit of the way through this second quarter of the story. Buffy is hitting a punching bag in the training room. Giles warns her not to tire herself out, but Buffy is not worried about that. He tells her the others are still working on ideas, and he thinks that's okay because it's better to go in as close to the ritual as possible so there is less time that they need to keep Glory occupied and delay her. And then Giles says, I imagine you hate me right now. I love Dawn. And Buffy says, I know. And Giles says, but I've sworn to protect this sorry world. And sometimes that means saying and doing what other people can't. They shouldn't have to. More foreshadowing of what Giles will do at the end. And Buffy tells him, you try and hurt her and you know I'll stop you. And Giles says, I know. So this is nice as well because 
Yes, we have foreshadowing, but we think, and Buffy thinks, that what Giles means is if he has to, he'll kill Dawn. Though I'm not sure I ever believed that. Perhaps he would try to stop Buffy from saving Dawn. But it's a, it's a great setup and sets up a twist at the end when that is not what happens. <laughs> A personal update, I just sent out advanced review copies to my review team of fiction writing as your second career. By the time you hear this episode, it should be available for pre-order on Amazon, so you can either search that title if you're interested or look for the links in the show notes. And if you would like to be on the list to get advanced review copies of future writing as a second career books or Buffy in the Art of Story books, you can join my email list. Go to lisalilly.com slash story and sign up. You'll also get uh, a template for creating your own stories using the plot points that I talk about in the podcast. And once you sign up, just respond to one of the early emails and let me know that you would like to be on the review team. And if you want both Buffy books and writing as a second career books, make sure to tell me that as well. Buffy sits on the leather couch, and now we get more exposition with conflict and foreshadowing all together. Buffy says, this is how many apocalypses for us now? Giles sits next to her. Oh, well, uh, six at least. Feels like a hundred. This is a nice shift because now, as angry as Buffy is at Giles, they are talking as a team or as partners. And Buffy says, I've always stopped them, always won. And Giles says, yes. This is building to the conflict in the next lines. And we could tell that's what Buffy was getting to. So even though she and Giles seem to be agreeing in that moment, we get to Buffy sharing why it is so overwhelming. She says, I sacrificed Angel to save the world. I loved him so much, but I knew what was right. I don't have that anymore. I don't understand. I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices. If everything just gets stripped away, I don't see the point. I just wish that. I wish my mom was here. And this is at 14 minutes, 40 seconds in, and it goes to another theme throughout Buffy that you have a choice. It's not a good choice, but a choice. And Buffy has lived by that. She did sacrifice Angel and her own happiness, but now she is questioning it. If the choice has to be to kill Dawn or let Dawn die, Dawn who feels like part of her, she doesn't see how that could be right. She starts to walk out of the room, then turns to look back at Giles and says, the spirit guide told me that death is my gift. I guess that means a slayer really is just a killer after all. And Giles says, I think you're wrong about that. At 16 minutes, 27 seconds, Buffy says, it doesn't matter. If Dawn dies, I'm done with it. I'm quitting. And this is that moment that raises the stakes for the world and for Buffy. She might save the world, 
But if Dawn dies because of it, she is not going to be the Slayer anymore. And that is so much of who Buffy has been for the whole series. She walks out, that theme music that we've heard on and off throughout and we'll hear at the end when she sacrifices herself plays and it goes into the next scene where Dawn, dressed in a gown like Glory's, slides her gym shoes under the chair, telling us she's feeling resigned. She's trying to accept what might happen. And this foreshadows the end as well, where Dawn is willing to sacrifice herself to save the world. But now Glory comes in, the minions grab Dawn, who screams and struggles as they try to drag her out. They take her outside to the metal tower, which is strung with lights, and take her up the steps. And this moment made me think that perhaps one of the reasons Dawn is difficult for a lot of viewers is that before Dawn, we rarely had the typical horror screaming girl. Now here, of course, of course she would scream, but throughout the season, she's screamed and shrieked. And normally in Buffy, we just don't see a lot of that. There are potential victims that Buffy saves and they are frightened, but they're not usually, they don't usually have that type of response. After a commercial, Giles calls down into the basement to ask Anya and Xander if they've had any luck finding the Dagon Sphere. Anya and Xander hurriedly dress as they claim that they've been looking, and Giles says, time is a factor. Xander asks Anya if she's more relaxed now and is surprised when she says no. He thought she uh, arrived. And she says, yes, she had the pleasure moment and the blissful calm after, but it only lasted a couple seconds, and now she's terrified again. Xander accidentally knocks a cover off something that makes him yelp, and he says, Spike Sexbot, why didn't they just melt it down into scrap? And we see the Buffy bot standing there motionless, and Anya says, maybe Willow wanted it. And Xander responds, I don't think Willow feels that way about Buffy. I mean, I know she's going through a lot of changes, and Anya says, to study. And Xander responds, right, robotics science. More wonderful exposition giving us a quick update on why there is this motionless Buffy, that she's a robot, how and why she was created. It's done through conflict between the two of them, and it foreshadows the use of the Buffy bot later in the episode. Anya also gets a fright when she comes across a stuffed bunny, and she says, it's an omen. It's a higher power trying to tell me through bunnies that we're all going to die. Oh, God. And we get some more callbacks when Anya says she usually runs when there's an apocalypse, but now because she loves Xander, she has inappropriately timed sex and tries to think of ways to fight a god. And she worries about Xander. She worries about herself surviving. Then she has more guilt that she's not worried about everyone else, that she just doesn't have enough room for all the worry, which I think is so realistic of how people feel during a disaster or a tragedy that, yes, you you worry for the people closest to you and yourself. And I have had that guilt over I, I should be more concerned about everybody. 
Anya now says she doesn't think she could ever be more nervous than she is right now. Xander says, you care to wager on that? And he holds out a jewelry box and pops it open to show an engagement ring and asks her to marry him. At first, Anya looks touched, but then she slaps his face. And she says he's proposing because he knows they're going to die and he thinks it's romantic and sexy and he won't need to follow through on it. This, if this episode had been the series finale, which it was originally written to be, is such a nice way to nod toward that trope of happily ever after and that equaling a wedding for uh, Xander and Anya. And yet it leaves enough open because of Anya's initial reaction that we wouldn't know for sure in true Whedon fashion whether that was really going to work or not. But Xander makes a convincing case that he's not asking because he thinks the world will end, but instead he believes they'll survive and he's sure he'll live a long and silly life and is not interested in doing it without Anya. In response to the proposal, Anya says, yes, I mean, yes, no. And Xander says, no. And she answers after, give it to me when the world doesn't end. This adds more weight to the falling action of the episode. At 20 minutes, Buffy asks Willow what she's got. They sit facing each other. Willow says she has some, quote, ideas, well, notions, or theories based on wild speculation. She follows up that she's not good under pressure. But Buffy tells Willow, Willow's the big gun, the strongest person there, the only one who ever hurt Glory at all. So don't get a jelly belly now. Willow does have one idea. She says that mostly the last few days, she's been looking into ways to help Tara. And she says she knows that shouldn't be her priority. But Buffy assures her that of course it should. So this is another theme of the show, the importance of protecting the people that we love, of protecting individuals, even when the fate of the world is at stake. And we're nearly at the midpoint of the episode where I look for the protagonist to make a major commitment, throw caution to the wind, or suffer a major reversal. Now, this could be a subtle commitment as it seems like this statement of one of the show's main philosophies about protecting individuals and people that Buffy cares about is what impels Buffy later to sacrifice herself in place of Dawn. I do think there is a later major commitment that we'll see, but this is a good one as well. And either way, there is a big shift here as we start seeing how the gang plans to delay Glory. Willow talks about how she could reverse what Glory did to Tara which might help Tara and hurt Glory at the same time. Giles calls Buffy over, and Willow goes to Tara, tells her not to worry, it won't be long. But Tara slaps Willow, calls her a bitch, and then she cries, clearly sorry she hit Willow. And Willow says, I'm going to bring you back. The camera switches to Buffy. Giles is holding the Dagon Sphere. Xander, Anya, and Spike are all gathered around. We don't hear the early part of the conversation. A nice way to keep the audience in suspense while still playing fair because we were over with Tara and Willow. Buffy says, no, that's a good idea. It could be pivotal 
And Spike says, don't be swinging that thing near me. Xander responds, hey, I happen to be, and Spike says, a glorified bricklayer. And Xander responds, I'm also a swell bowler. Anya says, has his own shoes. All of this is so much fun because we don't know at all what they are talking about, but it does set up a big moment later. And Spike says the gods themselves do tremble. Buffy tells Spike to shut up and says he needs to come with her. She takes him to her house to get more weapons. At 22 minutes, 17 seconds, he stops at the threshold. He can't come in because of that spell Willow did to shut him out after he declared his love by more or less trying to torture Buffy. He tells her now that she can pass the weapons to him through the doorway, but Buffy invites him in. So this is probably the real midpoint commitment because it is what truly turns them all into a team. And a huge theme of the show from episode one has been that Buffy's strength, unlike other slayers, comes from working with the people around her who care about her, and that's why she's survived so long. And this makes Spike, who has been on the outs with every and who has never been completely in Buffy's camp, part of the team. And maybe this is why we had those moments in Spiral when Spike's driving the Winnebago that Xander and Giles reacted so negatively to him and were so mean because it showed they tolerated Spike because he could help, but he wasn't part of the gang. And now Buffy has acknowledged him as on their side. She invites him in. Spike steps across the threshold and says, no barrier. Buffy tells him they're not all going to make it, and Spike says he knows he always knew he'd go down fighting. But Buffy is talking about Dawn if Buffy doesn't make it, more foreshadowing. And Buffy says, I'm counting on you to protect her. Spike says, till the end of the world, even if that happens to be tonight. Buffy heads upstairs for more weapons, and Spike says, I know you'll never love me. She turns back to look at him, and he continues, I know that I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man, and that's, get your stuff, I'll be here. At 23 minutes 52 seconds, Dawn stands on the edge of a metal plank jutting out from the tower, which is a little bit shaky, uh, made of metal rods and beams. Her hands are tied to short railings on either side of her. Back at the magic shop, everyone gathers. Willow asks Tara if she has someplace to be and tells her she's free to go. She says, it's the big day, right? Do you want to go? On her way out, Tara points at Giles and says, you're a killer. More foreshadowing. Buffy tells them to leave a little time, then follow Tara, but not too closely, and she ends, Remember, the ritual starts, we all die, and I'll kill anyone who comes near dawn. Spike says to Giles, Well, not exactly the St. Crispin's Day speech, was it? And Giles responds, We few, we happy few. And Spike finishes the line, We band buggered. I had to look this up. This is from Shakespeare's Henry V. At 26 minutes, 53 seconds, the gang follows Tara at a distance. They stare at the tower as they get near it, and Buffy says Willow's up. Giles asks if Willow needs anything, and Willow says she could use a little courage. Spike offers her his flask of whiskey, and Willow says the real kind, but thanks. This is a callback to Spike offering Buffy a flask in the fake stakeout, and it 
further shows that shift to Spike being on the team, because while Buffy was grossed out by the flask, whether it contained blood or whiskey, Willow doesn't scoff at Spike, she thanks him. Tara gets into the outdoor lot near the tower. Glory sees her and recognizes her and asks what she's doing there. Willow appears and says, she's with me. She puts one hand on Glory's head and the other on Tara's. Lots of bright light and lightning bolts. Glory and Tara yell and fly apart. Glory staggers away, stumbling. Her minions rush to her, and she says the witch made a little hole in her brain. She holds her hand to her head and says, Big day. I got places to be. Big day. And she says she needs a brain. Then she sees Buffy and Glory says she supposes she could take Buffy's brain and Buffy tells her to come and get it. This is a little bit of ironic foreshadowing given what will happen in a few moments and we go to commercial. At 27 minutes, 41 seconds, we return. Glory is looking confused and Buffy taunts her. But Glory says she just has a headache from the little witch and she tells her minions to guard the tower. This is a diversionary tactic. She struggles for those words and Buffy comments again on Glory's confusion and says, maybe it's the witch, but maybe it's this. And she throws the glowing Dagon Sphere to Glory. Glory catches it and crushes it. But it seems to cause her some pain, and these are great ways to make it real that Buffy does some damage to Glory in the fight. At 29 minutes, the rest of the friends are swinging bats and metal bars and rush at the group of minions at the base of the tower. Dawn above watches her eyes wide. Willow finds Tara in the rubble and is tearful with relief when Tara recognizes her. And Tara says, Willow, I was so lost. And Willow responds, I found you. I'll always find you. And they embrace. At 30 minutes, 17 seconds, Glory regains some of her strength, lands a strong blow at Buffy and knocks her head off. There are sparking electrical currents and exposed machinery. So she had wanted to suck Buffy's brain and discovers this is a robot instead. And Glory says, wow, the Slayer's a robot. Did everybody else know the Slayer was a robot? And the real Buffy appears and says, Glory, and she smashes her with the troll hammer. You're not the brightest god in the heavens, are you? Dawn yells down to Buffy, who now races up the metal stairs. Glory follows, and the two of them fight as Buffy tries to get to the top. There is great fight choreography here. They swing on chains. Buffy hits Glory with a hammer. Uh, eventually, Buffy starts to go flying off the tower, but she's able to grab Glory and pull her down with her. And during the fall, Buffy loses her grip on the hammer. At 32 minutes, 39 seconds, Glory asks what Buffy will hit her with next now that the hammer's gone. And Buffy says whatever's handy as a wrecking ball comes through, crashes through a wall next to Glory and knocks Glory over and Xander says the glorified bricklayer picks up a spare. So more great teamwork so fitting with this theme. Usually around here in an episode, we see the last major plot turn, what I think of as the three-quarter turn, and it should grow out of the midpoint and take the story in yet another new direction. And we'll get that in a moment. But right now, Giles, Spike, and Anya are somewhat trapped in a corner because the minions are at the bottom of the tower, blocking their way and throwing bricks at them any time one of them tries to get out. 
They can't figure out how to get past the minions, but Child says it doesn't matter as long as Glory is delayed and she is, the ritual can't happen. But at 33 minutes, 13 seconds, the old man uh, from previous episodes, and he's referred to as Doc, although I'm not sure we ever uh, know that that's, that's what he's called. But Doc reaches the top of the tower and heads along the plank toward Dawn. Dawn is relieved at first, and she asks him to untie her, but he's not there to help. He pulls out a knife, and we cut to commercial. So this is a huge shift. It's from outside Buffy because Glory has this backup plan and it is Doc. And this is the biggest flaw in Buffy's plan of delaying Glory. And while it doesn't exactly grow from the midpoint where Spike becomes part of the team and we have our united group against Glory, it is a mirror of it because Glory also has a team. Glory is in many ways a reflection of Buffy, as I'll talk about in the next episode of the podcast. And so it makes sense that she would not be relying only on herself. At 33 minutes, 52 seconds, Spike notices someone's up on the tower with Dawn and Willow, who's with Tara in a different part of this parking lot, speaks in Spike's head. He answers aloud, confusing the others. Willow tells him to rush the tower, but Spike doesn't know how he can get past the minions. She tells him to just go and she and Tara clasp hands. And as Spike runs straight at the stairs, all the minions fly apart, just like Spike and Xander did at the gas station in The Way to the World. At 34 minutes, 38 seconds, on the plank above, the man looks at his pocket watch and says it's just about time, but Spike has reached the top and he says, doesn't a fellow stay dead when you kill him? And the doc says, look who's talking. Nice quick callback to Xander killing Doc in his apartment when he and Spike went there to get the scrolls. Spike runs at him and Doc stabs Spike. At 35 minutes, 4 seconds, Glory, blood running from her nose, tells Buffy that Buffy's immortal and can never understand Glory's pain. Buffy says she'll just have to settle for causing it and hits Glory again with the hammer. I mentioned in the earlier break the Buffy and the Art of Story books. So far, season one is available as are the first and second parts of season two. I am working on season three. It's been a bit slow going, but I hope to get it out in the first quarter of next year. Each book includes the bulk of each podcast episode, but it is organized into writing topics and there are questions to use for your own writing. And I am so excited that one of the listeners is using the books as curriculum for a writing group that she is going to lead or teach via Zoom. So I found that super exciting and I'm so happy to hear that people do find the books and the podcast helpful with their own writing. If you would like to get 
get a copy of Buffy and the Art of Story Season 1, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy uh, free, you can support the podcast on Patreon at the $5 level, and you will get that along with all kinds of cool bonus content. The most recent bonus episode was God's Guilt and the Weight of the World, which was just posted. You can find out more at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Lisa M. Lily, L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. And you'll get the digital copy of the Buffy book at the $5 patron level, but you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month and get all the bonus content. Plus, you will get the show at least two days early for every episode. Glory says, you can't kill me. And Buffy responds, no, but my arm's not even tired yet. Up on the tower, Spike tells Doc he can't come near the girl. And Doc says, I don't smell a soul on you anywhere. Why do you care? Spike responds, I made a promise to a lady. And Doc says, oh, then I'll send the lady your regrets. He flicks his tongue out. It extends all the way to dawn, startling Spike. And then he dives at Spike's feet, throwing him off balance, flips to standing again, grabs Spike, and throws him right off of the plank. There's an instant where he is holding Spike. Spike is staring at dawn, so distraught. I've always found this just a little unbelievable because of that pause and because while we saw the uh, old man doc take out Xander, we didn't see anything to suggest before that he is so strong and so powerful that he can just fling Spike aside. Clearly in this episode, it would be too much to try to fit something in to show that. But it might have been nice to have that in one of uh, the earlier episodes so we had a better sense of his strength. At 35 minutes, 57 seconds, Glory begs Buffy to stop and Buffy keeps pounding her with the hammer, which hits her off screen so we're not seeing her get her face pounded in. Then the camera shifts as Glory turns into Ben. So a note on pacing here. We are about 36 minutes through, so we've got six or seven minutes left to the episode. And the first time I watched, the pace felt off to me in the gift. And I think it's because I thought the climax was going to be Buffy fighting Glory. Now we're getting hints that that's not so because Doc has just thrown Spike off the plank, but I had no way of knowing what the real climax was going to be. It is a nice twist, but as you're watching the first time, it felt a little odd because Buffy is now getting to where she is prevailing over Glory, and that seems way too early, as if not as no enough has happened yet, not enough obstacles for her to this point. Ben lies on the ground bleeding and Buffy tells him to tell Glory it's over. She missed her shot. If she ever, ever comes near Buffy or anyone she loves again and Ben promises they won't. He swears it and after Buffy runs to the tower to get Dawn, Ben says aloud to Glory something like, it's just you and me. 
Giles crouches near Ben, asks him if he can move. And Ben says, need a, a minute. She could have killed me. And Giles responds with another theme that has run through the series. No, she couldn't. And sooner or later, Glory will reemerge and make Buffy pay for that mercy and the world with her. Buffy even knows that and still she couldn't take a human life. She's a hero, you see. She's not like us. And Ben says, us? At 37 minutes, 34 seconds, Giles puts his hand over Ben's nose, clamps it shut, and suffocates him. Now everyone has taken part in the physical fight to defeat Glory. So much teamwork and so much emphasis on how the friends working with Buffy is how she is able to prevail and stop so many apocalypses as well as lesser evils. At 37 minutes, 41 seconds, Doc makes shallow cuts with a knife on Dawn and her blood starts falling. It runs down her bare feet. At 38 minutes, 11 seconds, Buffy reaches the top of the tower, easily flings the man aside and unties Dawn. Buffy helps her back toward the tower. Now in any other show, that would have been the climax, Buffy fighting Glory and then getting Dawn. But here we are just reaching the climax. In the climax of any story, the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. So we would have thought it would be Buffy clashing with Glory, but Glory is now dead. And instead, here, I think the main conflict is Buffy versus all the danger in the world, the forces that she can't change that forever oppose her. At 38 minutes, 8 seconds, Dawn's blood dripped down and opened a tiny part of the portal. We just saw this small bright light as Buffy pulled her away from the edge. But now it expands and bolts of lightning come out of it to the street, hitting cars, creating craters. Another hits City Hall and it crumbles. We get a quick scene of monsters in another dimension. And then on Earth, the ground shakes. Giles and friends are in danger. Anya shoves Xander aside as bricks and metal fall, and she is knocked out by the rubble. So we see firsthand all of what will happen as long as Dawn is still alive. At 39 minutes, 8 seconds, Dawn tells Buffy she's sorry, and Buffy says, it's okay, it doesn't matter. Dawn tries to get past Buffy and down the plank to jump. She says she has to. She knows it'll kill her, but she knows about the ritual. Buffy stops her, but Dawn insists, look at what's happening. And at that moment, a dragon emerges from the portal and Dawn tells Buffy it's the only way. And I love this Dawn. Dawn goes on that until the blood stops flowing, it'll never stop. It has to have blood. And now we get quick flashes from season five and from the gift itself of what is going through Buffy's mind. There's Spike saying it's always got to be blood. There's Dawn and Buffy together in the hospital. 
Buffy is bleeding and so is Dawn. She puts their hands together and says it's Summer's blood and that the monks made Dawn out of her. And the spirit guide saying death is your gift. Buffy turns and looks at the edge of the plank and everything in the soundtrack quiets. A soft breeze blows Buffy's hair and she looks calm. And Dawn says, Buffy, no. And Buffy says, Donnie, I have to. Dawn says, no, and Buffy says, listen to me, please. There's not a lot of time. Listen. The camera pans back, and there's a long shot of Buffy talking to Dawn, but we don't hear her words. The theme music plays. Buffy kisses Dawn and turns toward the end of the plank, her eyes wide. Buffy runs and swan dives into the portal. And her voice overstarts as she's in that portal with the electricity crackling into her. And finally, the portal closes. This is the very definition of a Pyrrhic victory. That is where the protagonist, the hero, prevails, but at an almost unbearable cost. And we saw this as well at the end of season two, when after Angel became himself again, Buffy had to kill him. And during Buffy's voiceover, we will shift to the falling action part of the story where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. And interestingly, given that this initially was a series finale, there is Almost no falling action. We take the climax right up almost to the end. So while Buffy's in the portal, her voiceover, we hear what she said to Dawn. She says, Dawn, listen to me. Listen, I love you. I will always love you. This is the work that I have to do. And at 41 minutes, 58 seconds, the portal closes. And now we shift to the friends, seeing Buffy's dead body on the ground and this is the falling action and her voiceover continues as spike holds his head in his hand and weeps anya has survived and she and xander cling together and stagger toward buffy willow sobs we see giles face and buffy says tell giles i tell giles i figured it out and i'm okay give my love to my friends you have to take care of them now you have to take care of each other you have to be strong Dawn, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Be brave. Live for me. And at 42 minutes, 88 seconds, we cut to Buffy's tombstone. And this is when I was watching when I realized they really meant it. Buffy was really dead. And it says, 1981 to 2001, beloved sister, devoted friend. She saved the world a lot. And that's the end of the episode and season five. And originally was meant to be the end of the series, which would have been devastating. And I think I mentioned either in a bonus or in a past episode that a friend who was a huge Buffy fan and I, we were on the phone in seconds saying, what does this mean? How can this be? And I think we did know that Buffy was coming back on the UPN network, but we couldn't understand how how could it be Buffy the Vampire Slayer without Buffy. 
There is no DVD commentary on this episode, which surprised me. I swore that I remembered watching a commentary, and I think what I'm recalling, we'll see when I get to season six, is that there was some discussion about the gift in the commentary on the pilot episodes of season six. I do want to share something from an article in Vulture on May 21, 2021, and I'll put a link in the show notes. I linked to this previously as a listener had shared it with me about a year ago. And Vulture points out that when the episode was written, quote, it was intended as the series finale. After five years on the WB, the acclaimed but low-rated show was left in limbo before eventually moving to UPN for its final two years. That end-all potential is evident not just in the myriad loose ends wrapped up in The Gift, but in the shift seen in each character's arc. Spike from foe to ally, Giles from teacher to peer, Buffy from distracted, morally bound teenager to somber world-weary adult, end quote. And I wanted to share that because I had forgotten that part of the article, and I didn't quite catch the shift of Giles from teacher to peer until I read that, that moment, uh, actually the whole part of the episode where Buffy is completely rejecting what Giles says. She will not listen to him, although what he says does no doubt inform her decision at the end. But that moment when they sit together on the couch, they are peers. How many apocalypses have we been through together? gather. It is less mentor and student and more two battle-weary compatriots. And that shift of Buffy from the teenager to the somber world-weary adult, that really helped me make sense of the tone of that opening scene, which I feel like I never quite got before. I felt flat. I wanted it to be a more Buffy-Buffy-like scene, but of course it wouldn't be given where Buffy is now and this convince me that that is the point of it. So that is it for today on this episode on the gift other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. If you're not sticking around for foreshadowing, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back in two weeks for more about The Gift as I talk with Rachel Warden. We heard from her before about Kobo writing life, but she is a very big Buffy fan. And I talk with her about season five and Buffy's choice in The Gift, Glory as a villain because Rachel loves Glory as much as I am meh about her and more. And also, I will put this link in the show notes as well. I guested on the Kobo Writing Life podcast with Rachel and another co-host to talk more about Buffy. So do give a listen to that as well. we're back for foreshadowing and spoilers. There's so much here, I can't possibly cover it all. But that moment when Anya slaps Xander's face and says he's proposing because he knows he won't have to go through with it, definitely foreshadows season six Xander. Season six shows that he wasn't really ready, that maybe there was part of what Anya said in Xander's heart, that it's sexy, it's romantic, and he didn't really have to contemplate 
what that future would be like. Or maybe it just turns out Xander thought he was ready and he is not. I forgot to mention in the main part of this uh, episode that we do subvert that happily ever after thing because yes, the world doesn't end, but Buffy is dead. Everyone is devastated. And of course, Xander is not going to say, oh, hey, Anya, okay, let's get married. Let's tell everyone right now. So he doesn't give her the ring. And we will pick up with that in the season six pilot episodes, the two-part pilot, where Anya wants to tell everyone about their engagement and Xander keeps saying it's not the time to do it. And that theme will continue. Then there is Tara and Willow and Willow saying, I found you. I'll always find you. And here Willow so grasps the horror of what Tara has been through when Glory sucks out her brain. But Willow then will herself alter Tara's mind, make her forget about a fight they're having. And that is what causes Tara to split up with Willow because Willow progresses into this darkness where she is using magic. She's so much more powerful which is also foreshadowed here by Buffy saying, you're the big gun. Willow's power grows, but she starts using it to fix things for herself, to make the world how she wants it, including altering Tara's mind. It's sort of heartbreaking how this Willow would never do that to Tara. Then there is Spike saying, I know you'll never love me. I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. Certainly foreshadowing the season six arc of Buffy and Spike, this idea that Buffy can never love Spike because he's a monster. This will play out through season six. Also, Spike's belief that he has to become not a monster for Buffy to love him. But it foreshadows his attack on Buffy, his assault of Buffy, and links it to him being a monster, reminding the audience of that and yet foreshadowing this shift in how Buffy feels about him or maybe more accurately an acknowledgement of how Buffy feels about him. And then there's a little more from the Vulture article I want to share. Quote, much has been said about whether season six went too far in its gloom. Even Marty Noxon, the future Sharp Objects creator who was the showrunner for Buffy's final two years, has said that she questions controversial choices like killing Tara, but few can deny that it was time for the series to take a turn. Buffy had spent five seasons as a teenager living in a world that was, by and large, kind and fair. Through the events of The Gift, she became living proof that that was not so and was forced to live with the consequences, end quote. And this too helped me understand The Gift, that we are seeing that Buffy as a teenager was very different than Buffy now and that she is living with the consequences of there being battles that she cannot truly win because yes, she won this one, but it was that Pyrrhic victory even more so than killing Angel. Now for Buffy, you can argue 
it wasn't an unbearable cost. That's why she made the choice and that she found closure. We see that in her face. She found closure. She found peace. But for her friends, it is an almost unbearable cost. And we'll see how that plays out. And this, to me, makes sense of season six, which is so dark and Buffy struggles so much. And I had thought of it largely as, well, she lost her mom. She didn't have time to grieve that. She did find peace and now she's dragged back in the world. But this is also saying, yes, when Buffy comes back, it has to be that dark because she has recognized that these are the choices in the world and the Buffy who comes back is one who knows that and knows what she's facing and knows she may have to make those kinds of choices again. The last foreshadowing I'll talk about, certainly not the last one in the episode, is that line to Dawn, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it, which Dawn will echo in the musical episode once more with feeling and which really encapsulates season six. I feel like this is the theme of season six that Buffy has to come to terms with living in the world. Thank you again for listening. Season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is over, but the podcast season five is not. In two weeks, as I mentioned, I'll talk with Rachel Wharton about the gift and some other season five issues. And then I'll have another bonus episode, a conversation between Roberta Lip of the They Coined It podcast and Carrie Walsh from the Sex and the City podcast, Coaching Carrie. And we will talk about season five, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a whole, looking forward from here and more. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. Comment on the episodes or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page or email your comments to buffystorypod at gmail.com. Find book editions of Buffy in the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.